Well, I, I need an icebreaker, um, so join me in an icebreaker. Um, and so these are a bit cynical uh, stories. I have, I think, two for you. A man, and I may have shared this among some of you before, and maybe I haven't, but it's still pretty good. I mean, when I read it, that, that's pretty funny, I thought. Remember the cynicism, though, underneath. A man and his ever-nagging wife went on vacation in Jerusalem. While they were there, the wife died. The undertaker told the husband, you can have her shipped home for $5,000 or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. The man thought about it and told him he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker asked, why would you spend $5,000 to ship her home when it would be wonderful to be buried here and you would only spend $150? And the man replied, long ago, a man died here, was buried here, and three days later, he rose from the dead. I just cannot take that chance. That's, that is not about anybody here. I know there are not any ever nagging wives here. An old preacher was dying. And Charles, this has a little bit about lawyers in it, but it's, I, I, I have lots of good friends who are lawyers, and this is not about you. But, but it's it just, it, for it to fit the story, we have to have a lawyer in the story. Call right. Charles. What? Call the lawyer Charles in the story. No, no, no. <laughs> an old preacher was dying. He sent a message for an IRS agent and his lawyer, both church members, to come to his home. When they arrived, they were ushered up to his bedroom. At the end of the room, the preacher held out his hands and motioned for them to sit one on each side of the bed. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contentedly, smiled, and stared at the ceiling. I hope they're not some other IRS agents in here. It's not about you either. It's it's this IRS. For a time, no one said anything. Both the IRS IRS agent and the lawyer were touched and flattered that the old preacher would ask them to be with him during his final moment. They were also puzzled. The preacher had never given them any indication that he particularly liked either one of them. They both remembered his many long, uncomfortable sermons about greed, covetousness, and their avaricious behavior that made them squirm in their seats. Finally, the lawyer asked, Preacher, why did you ask the two of us to come? The old preacher mustered up some strength and said weakly, Jesus died between two thieves. That's how I want to go to. Ryan tells me this will work. Uh, we, we've been in the theme, I'm the vine, you are the branches, John 15, 5. And we've been uh, hunkered down in John 15 using it as our launch pad. And we come to the, the third piece of the, of the pie, if you will. And before we kind of get into it, I just uh, want to see if this works. Ryan told me it would. Yeah. Simply a lovely song that I encountered. Uh, it really is not tied to this particular talk, except uh, it, one thing that thought made me think about it. The righteous flourish 
like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. You see where their, their lives are centered. Uh, they still bear fruit in old age. I think that's what caught my attention because I turned 70 this year and uh, I started a new job. And, uh, but just that sense, uh, they still bear fruit in their old age. They are, never, they are ever full of sap and green. Some of us here have gotten older over the years, haven't we? And we've been seeing each other year to year. But there it is for all of us. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. What a marvelous ministry uh, we have until our last day. They may not point us in the right place. John, uh, Ryan, what am I doing wrong? Point it where? You. Well, it's just, maybe it's just having to think a little bit. But first of all, I want to say thank you, John Barr, for magnifying and celebrating the true vine, the Lord Jesus, and inviting us to abide, remain in him. Thank you, Ryan, for reminding us of our life purpose as branches of the true vine, our life purpose to bear fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that has, as Ryan reminded us, has an internal dimension and an external dimension, an inner impact upon our lives and an outer impact, fruit coming from our interior lives, fruit for our lives in the world. Uh, With regards to the interior spiritual renovation, we have that climactic place in Galatians where Paul tells us the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I reminded our small group yesterday, that Greek word there is singular. It is only one fruit. And so those are all the facets of the quality of that particular fruit. It's taste, it's texture, it's color. Uh, It's not like you get three of those and someone else gets three others. This is not gift of of the Spirit, which is distributed for you. And some of these you have a more natural inclination towards, and some of these are maybe a weaker point in in your person. But all those are meant to uh, flourish in you as this fruit uh, uh, grows in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And with regards to our exterior lives to bear fruit, it is to bear witness about Jesus. And this is, a, I call it a hostile world now. It's a hostile culture in many ways. And so it makes it all the more challenging, but all the more an opportunity for us to love, love, love in hostile situations. To declare that Jesus truly is the way, not a way. The truth, not a truth. The life, the only life. And we bear witness through acts of mercy and compassion and advocacy for the, uh, for the oppressed, for the downtrodden. As regards to our exterior lives, as Ryan made lovely reference, be fruitful and multiply, dot, 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 more Christians. Yes, bring them into the fold. With regards to our exterior lives, gifts of the Spirit, 
Paul teaches us, will be distributed among us for ministry and witness. Remember Paul writing in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. Each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. One is given the Spirit of the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another prophecy, another, and it goes on and on, as you know, and other gifts that are itemized in Romans and uh, I believe in Ephesians. uh, 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 But just this wonderful available to us for our work in the world. We just mentioned gifts of healing. Uh, We have Marilyn here on the back row. Bless your heart for being here. I want us just to pause and uh, uh, just uh, uh, among us. there are healers in this larger group that have that gift uh, available at times. Um, so uh, you particularly pray in this moment uh, for Marilyn's healing. But let us all just be of one mind and one heart and pray that this bone is not broken and that uh, Marilyn's going to be unexpectedly quickly restored to health and wholeness. So let's be Christians in action uh, from that interior life of love, joy, and peace to that exterior action uh, to making an impact on others. So let us pray. And um, Lord, we, we know you're here. We know your presence. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we, uh, we uh, pray and lift up Marilyn. And Millie, if you would just touch Marilyn's uh, leg there where it's uh, been wounded. And Lord, we lift up Marilyn. And Lord, hear the voice of the healers of this community. And hear our united voice, uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move and act upon Marilyn, anointing her with healing grace and power, restoring her to complete wholeness and health physically and in every other way as well, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Make her whole and well. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So there's this wonderful buildup at the end of the Gospels in the beginning of Acts. And uh, Luke will write like this in the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Actually in all Judea. And Samaria. Actually to the end of earth. To the end of time. So here we must be very, very careful as we're talking about the helper. This call to fruitfulness is not a call to oughts and shoulds in order to get credit with Jesus or our Father in heaven. It is not a prescription for how to get right to God to behave and be better. This call to fruitfulness is not responding to guilt and shame. I'm going to try harder to be patient. I'm going to try harder not to lose my temper. It is not doing things to earn God's favor or earn a right relationship with God. Doing things to earn our salvation, of course it's not that. That would be returning to life under the law. This fruitfulness is instead simply a response. The end result of a season of growth. From seed planted to seed rooting to seed flourishing to seed becoming blossom to seed becoming fruit. It would be, um, it's a response of gratitude for what the Lord has done and is doing for us such an eloquent moment in Ryan's talk at the end when that vine was connected to the cross of Jesus in that iconography. And uh, just, uh, 
That's where you get this from. And it's not a prescription. It becomes, though, a description of what your new life has become, what your new life looks like, the progressive restoration of the human spirit. This fruitfulness is the final result of a heart that has been melted in love and gratitude for Jesus. Christians have been transformed. Something dramatic has happened to anyone who calls himself or herself a Christian. It may have been a long marinating process over time of transformation. Over the years, something, though, has dramatically happened to that individual. That's why Paul will write, trying to express this for all of us, he'll write in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, something had had to die in me for something else to be raised up better. He goes on and says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith. That's his means of uh, sustenance with the Lord. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. See, he knows the source of all this. His heart's been melted. This legalistic Pharisee, his heart had a complete meltdown. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's thinking of the cross. The Lord gave himself his life for mine. Or he'll write to the Corinthian church. He said, if anyone is in Christ... New creation. In fact, that's the way the Greek runs. It doesn't run in a sentence, really. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Something is transformative. The old is gone, Paul writes. The new has come. And he, what he means is the old is going, thanks be to God, and the new is still coming, our sancti- sanctifying our lives. So we come to a special word, all this buildup, if you will, to described to identify the catalyst of this transformation. It's exciting sometimes to settle on one word in Scripture, even a little used word, and then let Scripture unpack the range of the implications of a word that Jesus used or Paul uses, a word that Jesus, uh, the, the intent or Paul's intent with a word. On this occasion, it is a word Jesus utilizes here in John 15, uh, where we have been settled into this week in Scripture. I hope it will be exciting this morning, actually, in our brief time to chiefly let Scripture unpack Scripture, let Scripture interpret Scripture. It's also exciting to talk about this word uh, because it's a false a most favorite renewal conference topic. The Holy Spirit and life in the Spirit. Keep in mind, this conference is about 40 years old. We celebrate some of that by uh, recollection and remembering uh, last night. Um, but this conference was founded to explore, to educate, to open doors to more Holy Spirit encounter and Holy Spirit experience. It was, a, uh, it was an advocacy. It was an, an activating of a, of a new uh, uh, renewal, see? Uh, activating of, uh, I say, we know the Lord. We know Jesus. We, as Episcopalians and Anglicans, we don't know the Holy Spirit very well. We're not even very comfortable with the Holy Spirit. This conference 
it would provide a setting, a place where we could come to better understand and embrace and fully um, live into the implications of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, simply another means of entrance into the world of the Holy Spirit that this uh, passage provides us. We have this word in John 15, 26, almost as a closing dramatic punchline in this section from I am the vine, abide in me, you are the branches. Here comes a dramatic punchline in this section on, on this. And it, it, uh, it, it reads like this. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. There's something about getting a complete package here. This is a turnkey operation. Great to hear about the vine. Great to hear about the vine dresser. Great to hear about uh, uh, the fruit bearers and the branches. It's great to hear all of that. Um, but kind of like, and how, Lord, is that going to happen in me? And so he, he's, he's going to give us the complete package. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, who proceeds, proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness. The Spirit will be pointing to the Lord Jesus and have us cast our eyes on Jesus. And the Spirit, once He has informed us, He's enabling us, empowering us, that we may inform others of the truth of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the cross of Jesus. Who is this helper that Jesus is referring to? Well, in the Greek, I'm sorry these sides, I hope they're large enough. Are they readable? They're good enough? Oh, yeah. Um, So this word, it only appears in the New Testament in the Gospel of John, well, in John's writings. In fact, it only appears in chapter 14, 15, and 16 in John's Gospel, and one other time in 1 John. And the word is paraclete. Um, most of us seminarians have encountered this word along the way. Uh, para, which means alongside. We, our word parallel uh, comes from that Greek root. And uh, um, cleat, uh, kletos, or something like that, it is called. And so paraclete is kind of difficult to translate, but it's called alongside. So our translations can be challenged by this at times. And so there are a range of English words, descriptive words. And I'm just going to pick out each one of them a little bit and let them kind of let our eyes get a hold of them. Uh, but the, and the ESV, the English Standard Version, version calls him the paraclete. He's the helper. It's a lovely image. Um, can I help you? The Holy Spirit is the one, the paraclete is the one who is going to help us. Thanks be to God. When you think of the assignment the Lord Jesus is giving to us, his followers, and so the paraclete, the helper, I'm going to provide for you. He's also called in the NIV, the advocate. I, I love that image. I think of the, it, it, how essential it is in a hospital environment, in a medical environment, particularly when you are uh, really ill, to have an advocate for you with the hospital. I mean, a family advocate who's saying, this person has not gotten the attention they needed this morning. 
Um, they have not gotten their medicine. I know they're on schedule and they're in a lot, they've become very uncomfortable. But how wonderful. We all need a patient advocate when we're in the hospital uh, who's on our side. And um, that's one of the translations for the uh, a new international version, NIV. Uh, the paraclete is called the advocate. Um, another translation calls him the intercessor. Think about um, a, a passage like Romans 8, 26. Um, Paul writes, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes, intercessor, intercedes for us through wordless, wordless groans. Well, that's a whole other conversation because that may be a reference to speaking in tongues. Uh, but somehow, when we don't have the words to offer to the Lord as we cry out to him, the Spirit within enables us to communicate with the Lord um, uh, interceding on our behalf. Uh, Eugene Peterson is always fun with his message and how he has uh, translated words. And he calls uh, the paraclete in these passages in John 14, 15, and 16, he calls him a friend. All these are capitalized in, in, in your translation, by the way. He's, it's not friend with a little f. He calls him the friend. Uh, Peterson, when the friend I plan to send you from the Father comes. Isn't that a lovely thought, though? When the friend I plan to send you from the Father, when he comes, it goes on. Think about Jesus speaking at this Last Supper at another place, and he says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have made heard from my Father, I have made known to you. It's one of my favorite words of relationship that we also can claim with Jesus. I mean, we know him on a first name basis. Jesus. Yeshua. And how lovely he knows us on a first name basis. And it's Mike in Jesus. It's Julie in Jesus. It's uh, Nat in Jesus. Isn't that lovely? Libby in Jesus. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's the friend. Uh, of course, the uh, King James Version from another era speaks of him as the comforter which is a big word and a broad word and probably had a little bit different meaning in an earlier century. But I, uh, what comes to mind for me is, for example, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writing about the comforter. And he, uh, he writes this in the first chapter, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Doesn't sound like an angry, judgmental, vengeful creator. The Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. There it goes again. He's going to give us the helper. The helper is going to help us in order for us to help others. Isn't that the way it goes? Another translation calls him the counselor. Um, this is a um, not well-known translation. I, it's, it's the CSB. It's a, whoever knows the CSB, go for it. But uh, I looked it up and now I've forgotten what those three uh, letters stood for. But this is another translation. The counselor. Uh, perhaps in the sense of if you're needing guidance, you need advice, you need help with discerning about a particular decision, we go to counselors. I need your advice. Would you help me with this? I'm doing this. I'm thinking that. What do you think? The Spirit, the paraclete, 
the counselor, providing spiritual wisdom, insight, and discernment from the Lord above. He does that in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes he speaks to us through others. Sometimes he speaks to us through signs and wonders around us. And sometimes the paraclete simply speaks from within to our hearts as the counselor. This may be my favorite translation. I love J.B. Phillips anyway. J.B. Phillips was influential in my early conversion back to Jesus by reading his translation of, of, of the New Testament, particularly one passage. But here, uh, here is the J.B. Phillips translation of Paraclete. I shall ask the Father to give you someone else to stand by you. Someone else to stand by you. The Paraclete is the someone else the Lord is sending and Jesus has promised who will stand by you through thick and thin, good times and hard times. I'm there with you. I will stand with you. I was in a terrific conflict in St. Paul, Somerville over some decisions about buildings many, many years ago now. And I, I, we had a big, potentially contentious vestry meeting. And I, I called uh, the senior warden and said, uh, Steve, I really need you to stand with me tonight. Uh, I, don't, I just, I basically had got my back. I don't want to be out there uh, on the target range alone. And, uh, uh, he, and, and Will was the junior warden. And he, he said, uh, I think I said, just you'll have my back. And uh, Steve said, I've, I've talked to Will, and uh, I, we don't only have your back, we are standing alongside of you, and we are with you in this. And we went in, what a, what a help uh, to go into a meeting with that kind of, uh, of a commitment and conviction from lay leadership. It made all the difference in the world. Someone else to stand by you. Thank you, Lord. So there he is, the paraclete that Jesus has promised. It's for you and me, the helper, the advocate and the intercessor, the friend and the comforter, and there's someone else to stand by you. And we will learn very quickly in these passages as Scripture interprets interpret Scripture. He is the Spirit of truth. And so He discloses the truth to us. He gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. Indeed, He is the Holy Spirit. They are all one and the same. He is the source of truth. He will give us the only true north truth with a capital T. We live in a culture where that is completely contrary to how our culture thinks and believes. So we are working against the tide where in a culture where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and there are many truths and there is no transcendent truth. So why are you even wasting my time talking about transcendent truth? That is the environment we're working in. And it's a place for love, compassion, and mercy, not striking back with anger and vindictiveness, even as they may strike you that way. Consider what Jesus did upon the cross, what Stephen, the first Christian martyr, did. They both dying, Father, forgive them, for they, they don't know what they're doing as they take the life of the loveliest life they ever lived. All right, so let's take a minute and go back a step. Um, Jesus has said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You abide in me and I will abide in you. And Jesus is saying, doing so, you will know and discover your life purpose as a follower of mine. And that your life purpose in a generic way is to bear fruit. 
And remarkably, in bearing this kind of fruit, you will more and more resemble Christ Himself until you are grown into Christ's likeness more and more. And what could be lovelier than having Jesus present on earth than having many, many, many Christ-like others present on earth in all kinds of settings. We can begin to get a picture of Jesus' strategy and plan. He, he, the Lord Jesus, can only be at one place, in a sense, at one time as a physical presence. He, in the power of the Spirit, can be in many places at the same time working through us. And as you become more Christ-like in your own lifestyle, you will more and more become the person the Lord intended you to be from time's beginning. And you will have a sense of fulfillment and well-being. It is a win-win-win situation. Um, I love this. You've heard me share it before. I can't get it off of my heart, and I'm glad I can't. Uh, this is from, uh, really from the early African-American community, according to Gert Bahanna, but she ended every one of her talks uh, on alcoholic, alcoholism and recovery. But uh, um, I want to live in this uh, little verse. Oh, Lord, I ain't what I ought to be. Oh, Lord, I ain't what I want to be. Oh, Lord, I ain't what I'm going to be. But thanks, Lord, I ain't what I used to be. Yeah, just, I mean, that's it. That's that progressive restoration of the human spirit made over into Christ's likeness. All the selves begin to be diminished and disappear. Self-centeredness. Self-righteousness. Self-consciousness. What will other people think? Self-conceit. Self-willfulness. Self-condemnation for those who live in some sort of shame-based world. Selfishness. The transformation of all the selves to a Christ-centered and like Christ and other-centered lifestyle and the discovery of a fuller and more meaningful life. Something counterintuitive, but true. As John the Baptist told his followers, yes, he must increase, the Lord Jesus, his cousin, I must decrease. He's, he can say it for all of us. Um, we can pray it along with John the Baptist. Yes, he must increase. I must decrease. I know something about that passage of some, uh, sometime recently uh, because I used to say it the wrong way. I must decrease. He must increase. There it is. The I putting itself first, even in that phrase. But the way John the Baptist says it is not reference to him first. It's reference to Jesus first. The passage reads, he must increase. And by the way, I, I must decrease. And maybe a first response from us with these kinds of thoughts. Perhaps our first response is impossible. No way. Like Peter at the Sea of Galilee, when he, it all of a sudden dawns on him who this, uh, this itinerant preacher is. He says, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinner. He's a rough, crusty, difficult, probably foul language fisherman. And uh, he knows he has no right even to be in the presence of this man. No, Lord, I have not been a good person, I can hear Peter saying, up to this point in my life. 
You couldn't possibly want me as part of your family. Impossible. Lord, I'm a little person. Lord, I'm not that bright. I'm too shy, Lord. Lord, I'm too self-centered and it's too late. I don't have any influence. It's just little old me. I don't want to change that much. But even as we think those thoughts, because of our encounter with Jesus, wherever it has come, there is a spark, maybe even a bit of fire of desire welling up in our hearts to give it a try. We are naturally drawn like the, the, the plants are drawn towards the sun's rays as it, come, as it rises in the morning. We're drawn that way. And we want to give it a try. Claim my place as a branch on Christ's vine. To claim the right, the privilege to abide in Him. To desire to bear fruit that will last. Remember the transformation of Ebenezer Scrooge. A hopeless, lost cause. That wonderful Dickens story that we enjoy at Christmas time. Utterly changed. A transformation. A fire of love and desire ignited in his, his heart. And all he knows is, his urgency is, I've got a lot of catching up to do. Thank goodness there's still time. That desire to bear fruit, bear fruit which blesses my, my spouse, blesses my children, blesses my family, blesses my business, blesses in my social life, blesses my employment, blesses my school, blesses my retirement. Um, a momentum that, um, that even enables me to deal with finances under this uh, uh, this umbrella. Now that all brings us with this desire that has been placing us and ignited to the essential. Christ has an ace up his sleeve. Christ has a secret sauce. He will not leave us as orphans. We come to what is Christ's catalytic influencer. That which tilts the skills in our favor. In our battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, the thorns and the rocks and the hard ground, we come to the paraclete as another way of expressing this part of gospel truth. So let's start with the earliest of the four references about the helper, the advocate, the comforter. This is back in John 14. Remember, they're only in 14, 15, and 16. And Jesus says in 14, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another paraclete, another helper, advocate, comforter, someone who will stand alongside of you to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive Him. It neither sees Him nor knows Him. You are you have privileged status with the Lord. You know Him, for He dwells with you. You've been with me, Lord, Jesus is saying. He said, He's been with us. He will be in you. And then He says, I will not leave you as orphans. What, what, what a brother. What a friend. What a counselor and an advocate. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. Execution, resurrection, ascension, seated at the right hand of God. 
but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. There's another great translation my father reminded me of once. Because I live on, you also will live on too. But there's already a lot here in this first of these four passages that we're giving attention to, uh, to unpack. So it's going to have to be kind of a quick run through this. So I'm drawing upon Raymond Brown. Raymond's uh, probably the greatest of the 20th century scholars of, of the Gospel of John. Um, and uh, so he, he brings a lot to the table uh, when he offers a thought. And uh, he says this. Uh, he, notice in that first line that Jesus is sending another paraclete. And Raymond hones in on that. The paraclete as another paraclete has the obvious implication that Jesus has been a paraclete. Well, yes. Everything we have been describing about the helper fits the mold of Jesus. Since the other paraclete is, uh, has the obvious implication that Jesus has been a paraclete, since the other paraclete is coming when Jesus departs. So I, I'm a, I've been a paraclete for you. I've got to depart. So I'm sending you another paraclete. Is in many ways, he says, another Jesus. The presence of Jesus after Jesus ascends to his Father. Now, I believe this is kind of a succinct summing up. Uh, this is still Raymond Brown. It is our contention that John presents the paraclete as the Holy Spirit in a special role, namely as the personal presence of Jesus in the Christian. And among Christians gathered, I, I add, while Jesus is, and just remembering, while Jesus is ascended and with the Lord, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is the personal presence of Jesus in the Christian while Jesus is ascended and with the Father. I've always loved Brandon Manning. I know, I believe Jesus. He said, when two or three gather in my name, there am I present in the midst of them. Uh, Jesus uh, promised to be with us always, even to the end. There are all kinds of references of Jesus' presence. And it, it, it's clear. Uh, it doesn't mean a physical presence. I have to say, most of the time, whatever Paul encountered, for example, on the Damascus Road was so profound, it was almost a one-on-one -on -one physical encounter with the Lord. But, uh, and there may be others who say, no, I've seen Jesus, and he may make occasional visits. I, I, I'm not debating that. But uh, here's this wonderful idea that his, his commitment is, when two or three gather my name, there am I present with him. Here's his commitment. I will be with you even to the end of the age, to the end of your life. Um, so he must be the unseen but present Lord, which is what Brendan Manning calls him. I love that. I just claim that as truth. He, yes, he's present. He's the unseen but present Lord. And as we acquire a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's moving within us, we can often tell the Spirit is here with us in this prayer group. Uh, perhaps in this setting while we were worshiping this morning, but a real sense that this is not normal. There's something more here. Uh, my, my heart's lifted. Uh, I have a joy. I have a peace. I have, I have a forgiveness put on my heart. Something is going on here. And we, we acquire that spiritual sensitivity to say, oh, he's here. That's what's going on. He's here. Same passage. He will give you another helper. He's the spirit of truth. He is someone who will stand with you. 
disclosing truth. Like God so loved the world that he sent his only son. I've always loved this poem. Um, For those who have eyes to see, what a privilege. This is Stuart Kennedy from another era. Blessed are the eyes that see the things that you have seen. If you are seeing this in these talks this week, in the worship, in the sermons, in the Eucharist, you are blessed, is what Sutter's are saying. Blessed. The Lord says, there are those who cannot see the Spirit or recognize Him or know He's here. Blessed are your eyes that see the things you have seen. Blessed are the feet that walk the ways where you have been because you have walked the paths of Christ in ministry and service and in love. Blessed are the eyes that see the agony of God. Blessed are the feet that tread His path. The paths His feet have trod. We're walking in step with Him. Blessed are the souls that solve the paradox of pain that somehow through suffering and hardship uh, we actually are honed and made into uh, we're stronger and better. You know, the broken bone that's stronger at that place where it's been broken. And find the path that piercing it leads through to peace again. It's the path of Christ walking the way of the cross. He in front of us, ahead of us, behind us. Christ be with me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ within me. That wonderful hymn, St. Patrick's Breastplate. The world neither sees him nor knows him. Sorry, I think I need. I have to do this. The world neither sees him nor knows him. He dwells with you, will be in you. I don't know what could be more comforting than I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Two more passages with this word paraclete. Fourteen, twenty-six. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. I'm glad they remember them. I'm glad they wrote them down. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, so there's that clear synonymous relationship. It's one and the same. Whom the Father will send, He will teach you all things. Bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace, my shalom, that sense of wholeness and well-being I give to you. It's not as the world gives to you. Given all that, let not your hearts be troubled. Anxiety, depart. Fear, depart. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. He will teach us all things. Think of the road to Emmaus as Jesus comes alongside them before His ascension. But the paraclete provides that same kind of function of coming alongside and uh, Jesus opening the Gospels to them. And uh, when he's finished and he's moved on, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? That is also the role of the Spirit from within. He will give us eyes where Scripture will begin to come off that page. And and really, you know, we heard some of those favorite passages Monday night and uh, just how the the, the God's Word is active and living like a two-edged sword. And a final passage. I hope I've got the right one. 
teaching all about the paraclete and these four opportunity. I'm going to him who sent me. Don't ask me where I'm going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He says, but it's got to proceed and progress in this fashion. I've got to do what I've got to do. You've got to do what you've got to do. And the Holy Spirit's going to do what he is planning on doing. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go ahead. Uh, another translation has, this is the Raymond Brown's own translation. He said, it's for your own good that I go away. For if I do not go away, the paraclete will never come to you. Oh, Lord. I'm so sad you're going away, but go away. I mean, if, if that's the condition, is that how this works? He, he's, this whole unfolding of our salvation and redemption. Whereas if I do go, I shall send him to you. So if the paraclete is the presence of Christ in the believer and in the community of believers, for the paraclete to be present, who is another paraclete, Christ Jesus will not also be present, for they are one and the same. And yet they are not. A Trinitarian kind of thought there. But I must go away, seated at the right hand of the Father, where he rules, that I will send me in the Spirit, the paraclete, the one who will walk alongside of you, your friend, your helper. Um, just very brief, I think I've run out of time. I have more to say, but I don't want to be abusive. Um, notice he's the helper. Uh, he's not going to do it for us. He does it with us. How lovely that he takes our talents and gifts and abilities and involves us in the work of redeeming the world, if you will, of making this a better place, of, of building homes through habitat, you know, all the ways that we make the world a better place as we bring people into the fold. So I'm going to help you with your own gifts and talents and abilities to be an effective gospeler for Jesus. He's the helper, not the doer for us. I think that simply brings us to the place, and I'm going to bring this to uh, make it more succinct. Uh, how? How do I have this? Uh, even as I've spoken, it's given me a, a hunger for more. <laughs> we sing that song, more love, more power, more of you in my life. Uh, it's like, uh, we, we just want to be filled yet again, Lord. And uh, one quick answer uh, is to leverage the new desire in your heart for more. Uh, that new desire is already the spirit of working the soil. And uh, Jesus says, you know, that wonderful passage in, in Luke, um, I tell you, asking it will be given, and seeking you will find, knocking the door will be opened. And everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks the door is open. I mean, this very repetitive, redundant uh, declaration. And then he builds to this crescendo and says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Advocate, the Friend, the Helper, the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So that's part of the how. Ask for more. Seek for more. You're coming from wherever your home is to Canuga for not any conference, but for this renewal of the Holy Spirit conference, if you can say it that way, is part of that asking and seeking. You're going up for prayer ministry 
for a third, fifth, or hundredth time, or for the first time, is that knocking is, is knocking at the door. It requires humility and obedience. And so the Lord has, a, a, has fulfilled that. We could have stories if we had time of what has trans- taken place in this, uh, these few days of how the Lord has brought about change and transformation. Jesus has asked, seek and knock. A second answer is use the spiritual habits of Acts 2.42. It's a, um, it's a core passage. Um, it's basically saying, go to those places where God is known for showing up. Uh, notice that uh, the disciples, I put them there, the followers of Jesus, because we're imitating them. It's in our baptismal covenant. Uh, they devoted themselves. They, they were outrageously, enthusiastically committed to these four spiritual habits. Why would anybody be that way? Why were those early church leaders that way? It's because they kept on having encounters with the risen Lord through the paraclete, through His Spirit, by these disciplines, the Apostles' teaching, the Word of Scripture, in other words, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. There are stories all through the book of Acts of how Scripture is used in the eyes of people. Are, um, they're given sight. They see. They, they understand. And they give their life to Christ. The fellowship. I, I can think of no better illustration of the fellowship or what's intended is a small group. A small group that meets at 11.30 at Canuga uh, is an opportunity for encounter and for uh, having, uh, receiving more of the Spirit in our lives. The breaking of bread, a wonderful Eucharistic image, and just the fact that Christians come together in fellowship to break bread together across the table. And in that, there's joy and laughter and love. Gary made reference, several references to that sort of thing this morning in his sermon. And um, I call them the praise prayers. It's not just any old prayers of intercession or petition. I don't believe he means here. He means that you, you will have a God encounter. The power of the Spirit will settle upon you as you offer praise prayers to the Lord. Uh, there's a psalm that says, The Lord is enthroned on the praises of His people. As we sing glory to the Lord and offer our hands and so on and so forth, uh, God shows up. His Spirit comes down. We are changed. We are enriched. We are moved. We are not different after that happens. Um, And one more way to answer the how question. Uh, It's the wisdom of Alcoholics Anonymous. Let go. We like being in control. Let go. We like to be in control. Let go and let God. Hand over the steering wheel, the accelerator, the brakes, and the gear shift to Him. Let Him take you for a ride. Because the paraclete has been called alongside to be your driver, right? To help you down the road. How do we do that? Openness. This does not do it. And this doesn't. Risk. I've never done this before, but I'll do it this time. Stepping out of the boat, Jesus tells Peter, give it a try. He walks on water. It's trust. I'm getting to a summary point and thought I, had my, I might have too much here. I think I do. So. When I say try it for the first time, um, I just simply speak from personal experience. Uh, 
There was a time when I said I would never be in a small group as an introvert. I said I don't do small groups. There was a time when I, I said, I promise you, I, I would never raise my hands in public worship. There was a time when I said that. There was a time when I didn't need, feel like I needed, but it became an extraordinary blessing. I made my first confession to a priest seeking absolution right before my ordination and continued that discipline. There was a time when I would not go to prayer ministers for prayer for personal need. There was a time I would not make a longer prayer appointment uh, where I really bared my soul with some people who were loving and caring Christians. All of it required exposing myself. It required trust uh, in friends alongside of me. Um, there was a time I would have never rested in that spirit, in the spirit, that peculiar kind of letting go and simply being on the floor. There was a time when I did not speak in tongues. I love that language of glossolalia as a means of praise and means of prayer. There was a first time for each of these. So I know for us to move forward in the spirit, my personal experience is we have to do something we've not ever done before. Um, Simon Tugwell is one of my favorite people, and uh, he writes to this because he basically had a similar experience. Uh, he's a Roman Catholic a monastic who is deceased now. But he said, a real point of spiritual breakthrough will come when we find ourselves doing something that we could not possibly be doing. This tongues, and he says, this sometimes takes the form of the gift of tongues, which is a simple, simple and harmless gesture from the Lord. Uh, but he goes on, he said, or it may be something quite natural in itself, but which we had always regarded as quite impossible for us. It might be weeping, for instance, or lifting up our hands, or shouting, praise God. The Lord has many ways to break us out, in other words, has many ways and is as devious as we are to Him. However it comes to us, this can be a point where faith begins to really come alive and our lives to be turned inside out. So the stakes are very high. Uh, it's about the welfare of our souls. It's about the strengthening of our lives. It's about the empowering of our lives for ministry. It's about really getting it right maybe for the first time as followers of Jesus. Okay. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Jesus promised that he would be with us always. His means of doing that was in going away he would send himself as the paraclete, he calls himself here, as the comforter, the helper, the friend. This helper, advocate, comforter coming alongside of us is the presence of Christ within us and his presence in community among us. The paraclete is the one who will tip the scales and empower us as fruit bearers in ministry and empower us to bear witness to the truth of Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And to bear fruit in the name of the true vine is our life's work every day and in the every day. And it's not to earn points, simply to let it be an offering of gratitude to the Lord. To enjoy this fuller life in the Spirit, we must risk we have to step out, step up. We must be open and willing to risk for the transformation to unfold.
Take another step this week. Maybe something today or tonight. Maybe something when you get home, of course. Take another step by inviting the paraclete, even the Holy Spirit, simply to have His way with you. Paul writes to the church in Rome. He writes to us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. He's enlarging his fold by word and by deed, Paul writes. And he continues, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ Jesus. May we fulfill our ministry of the gospel of Christ Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Hallelujah and amen. Amen.